Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. You ever want to know what it's like to be a Miami, Ohio defensive back? Take the train. (laughs) (laughs) Pete Thamel. Pat lost the argument with himself. Pat always loses the argument with himself. With SI's Pat Forty. This is like the Big Ten getting records. I mean, you're bringing in a team that is way below the rest of the league right now. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod. Uh, you guys don't want to hear too much about our our various production issues, but I just say Pete was late for the pod today. Only a couple minutes. We're supposed to tape at eleven a.m. It's eleven eleven right now, so not bad. But I rolled in around eleven oh six. What popped up on Twitter to explain this lateness, this tardiness, Mister <laughs> Sources? Creighton's Adrian Dowell expected to be the next athletic director at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Dowell is Creighton's assistant vice president and associate athletic director and oversees the athletic development office. Well, I mean, that kind of breaking news. (laughs) Trev Trev Alberts' replacement. That's big news. Uh, Does it make the sports front of the Omaha World Herald? That's that's the question. I, I don't Are there know, sports hey, fronts still, big news Pat? For Adrian Dowell, he, Adrian Dowell probably doesn't even have to move, right? So he's, yeah. just, he's staying in Omaha. Good for Adrian. Way to go. Congrats to Adrian and his family and all that. Did you have to list the entire resume? What is this, Zip Recruiter? <laughs> <laughs> what a title. There was actually more. There was actually more. <laughs> there always is in academia. It's like <laughs> under yeah. deputy secretary. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, congrats to Adrian. That's a nice, yeah. nice, uh, nice gig for him. But sorry, no, sorry to make fun of your thing. It's just good know. college hockey there. Could have got yeah. it is. It is. Omaha's a great city too. Great school. Great yep. stepping stone. And congrats to him. Uh, yeah, we just you know could have gotten the job <laughs> six minutes earlier. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, if if Adrian were a little more timely this morning. <laughs> well, really, it's not his fault. It's the yeah, it's the school. Omaha. Yeah. Right. So Come that's on. your first order of business, Adrian. Make sure all breaking news out of. University of Nebraska, Omaha happens on our schedule. Thank you. Sources. Wonder who the source was. All right. Plenty of misery to go around here, boys. Plenty so much misery. Of misery. Pete and I talked on Friday, and we were saying that uh, we thought this might be like a wild, like shake-up Saturday, one of those kind of things. Uh, not so much. Georgia rolls, Alabama rolls, Ohio State rolls, Michigan State rolls. Uh, Oregon, you know, whatever they they did fine. It was a little, it was tied at half. That's like our biggest drama. 
Cincinnati won fine. Michigan won a nice game on the road. That was a good game, but I don't think anyone's expecting them to blow people out. Uh, Notre Dame won easy. Really, it's uh, it was all other than Oklahoma, which we're going to get to. All the misery was in some big brands that had already been doing nothing and then found a way to somehow bring the spotlight to their pathetic seasons in even greater fashion. And uh, where do we start? But I'm going to start with the uh, the cheating husbands of the Big 12, the, the wandering eyes of the Big 12. Let's start quickly with Oklahoma, which really is not, they're having a fine season, undefeated, but go to Baylor, score seven points and use two touchdowns. They, they, rev- they revive uh, the career of Spencer Rattler for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. It's bad when I click back and Rattler's in the game. I'm like, oh boy, panic button. <laughs> When the Rattler can't start just raining down from the crowd. This guy, (laughs) he's going to get another car. He negotiated for another car to go back in. (laughs) Need a third vehicle. (laughs) Look at all this pub I'm getting. That didn't work out. I guess they end up with 14. Baylor played a great game. Pete was on this one uh, and Sully. Pat and I were just with Caleb Williams. Pat lost the argument with himself. Pat always loses the argument with himself. (laughs) Nobody has bashed Oklahoma harder this season than me, and then I pick them. I mean, and you called your shot. You said, I hate Oklahoma more than everyone, but but (laughs) that is really the quintessential tap. Tap Uh, is listening to Pat (laughs) argue himself uh, out of smart picks. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Uh, All right. So, bad game for Oklahoma. However, they can still win the Big 12. And they could still get to, they get, they're going to have two against Bedlam, uh, or, or at least one against Bedlam. They may end up, we'll get to how this uh, thing gets breaking out. But if they play like this, they're not doing anything. But they could conceivably look and go, hey, we lost on the road to a very good team. That may or may not, if they were, they end up 12 and one, that may or may not be enough to get them past Cincinnati. It might. We'll see. They got Iowa State, which is fading, lost on a, 62 yard field goal at Texas Tech. God bless. When that South Plains wind blows, man. <laughs> you got a big leg. If you're kicking with the wind in Lubbock, you got a chance. Well, here it goes. Tied at 38, three seconds to go. 62 yard try. Garibay has his foot into wow. it. It may be long enough. It is good. It is good. It is good. Jonathan Garibay has won the game with a 62 yard field goal. Oh my God. Can you believe that? Woo! Great kick. Anyway, Pat. He had a broken this- arm. Or he had a big air cast on his hand. Yeah, the kicker. <laughs> Don't need it. Right arm, to, right, right wing injured. Right boot, just fine. Saying an MMA fight, I ain't here to punch you. I must have been a kick, <laughs> and ain't gonna uh, fake a kick to him. Yep. Pat, thoughts on the Sooners? Ha, ha, ha. That's my first thought <laughs> on the Sooners. I, I you know, uh, the this is. A bit of a combo thought with them and Texas, but wow, for them both to get this comeuppance on the same day, the Survivor 8 of the Big 12 had to have a little bit of mean-spirited joy in seeing what happened, and not just seeing Oklahoma lose pretty darn emphatically to Baylor, and then Texas absolutely throw up on itself against Kansas, 
what the way it went down with a little bit of rub in the face of Lincoln Riley and the Sooners at the end with the crowd storming the field with three seconds left. And then they get the crowd off and they got to bring Oklahoma out of the locker room and they got to go do one more play. And what's the last play? A field goal for Baylor. Dave Aranda said, well, yes, we're thinking about point differential and all that. I think the rest of the Big 12 was thinking, eat it, Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, you know, point differential or not. And then Lincoln Riley did not take it well. I think that there was probably a great deal of joy in Stillwater, in Ames, in Manhattan, in Lubbock, in Fort Worth, and everywhere in the Big 12 seeing that happen. Because, first of all, Oklahoma has been a paper tiger all year. We've talked about it. But then for the offense to completely just flatline against a good defense for sure, but to flatline like that and get beaten and really to have some humiliation served at the end too. I, I, I think the Big 12 probably enjoyed that. I mean, the, the misery index for Oklahoma has not been this high in a since the last playoff loss, right? Like it's been a very, very long time since Oklahoma's, it was the worst yardage output in Lincoln Riley's five-year tenure. They scored a junk touchdown with two minutes to go. So they really scored once in 57 minutes, couldn't move the ball, needed a quarterback change. It felt a little bit like Baylor going forward has a trajectory that nobody could have expected. And I'm not saying Baylor's a better program next year. And look, they'll never be favored to win the Big 12 next season because the brands get favored. They get favored every year. Caleb Williams would be the Heisman. Every All the same storylines will get refreshed. But if you're a Baylor fan and you see the jump that Dave Aranda's program, really a leap that Dave Aranda's program took from year one to year two, they were pound for pound better than the Oklahoma Sooners on Saturday. They were pound for pound better at every facet. They pushed them around. They ran for something like 300 yards. They outgained them by nearly 200 yards. They just absolutely physically mauled them on both lines of scrimmage. And it was just a it was just a wire-to-wire whooping. There's no other way to say it. And Lincoln Riley has shown that once a year, his team will get ragdolled by an underdog. It'll be very interesting to see how Oklahoma responds because Iowa State has been their kryptonite. And they go to Norman next week. And then they close at Oklahoma State and will be an underdog in that game. And potentially like a five-point underdog or so. Oklahoma State is constructed defense first, strong line of scrimmage the same way that Baylor is uh, constructed. But let's forget the football and just dive right into the petty. I have seen field stormings. I've seen field stormings cleared. I have seen games re-won on field stormings. I was at the Bush-Push game back in uh, 2004. Notre Dame stormed the field because they won. They cleared the field. Bush gets pushed in the end zone. It's probably the most famous field storm clear in college football history. I have never seen a field storm clear to go up 13 (laughs) in reference to a Big 12 tiebreaker. And I would read you the Big 12 tiebreaker. I read the Big 12 tiebreaker yesterday. We need an analytics department to actually (laughs) determine if the Big 12 tiebreaker will really come into play. Because it's like subsection B. There was like, I don't know. I, I went to Syracuse. I didn't I, I went to avoid trying to determine tiebreakers like that. It felt like like a like a bad word problem. Like if in the event a train leaves Houston going 68 miles an hour and a train leaves Amarillo <laughs> going 46 miles an hour. And Dave Aranda delivered it so casually in the postgame with Jenny Taft. He was like, Oh yeah, the Big 12 tiebreaker. Like, like we all just hadn't thought of that the whole time. I mean, Lincoln Riley got into that referee's grill now. That is the most rattled I've ever seen him on a sideline. And by the end, yeah, Joe Castiglione down there. Uh, 
I saw Zach Selman down there. I mean, the whole Oklahoma brass was there uh, stomping their feet. It was uh, it was a compelling moment because you have to understand the undercurrents of Oklahoma in the Big 12 right now. There is no way that Oklahoma is getting the benefit of the doubt and clearing the field there. There is zero chance, if the Big 12 has any say about it, that they're giving Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt. And this is this traces back to summer conversations about being the stepchild in a league that you're leaving. And it's either you are getting shafted by the conference office or, and I wrote a story about this, the perception you're getting shafted, which almost is more powerful than the shafts because the shafts are limited. But it's like, oh, this officiating crew is out to get us. These opponents are sharing information. You live in this like boogeyman world. Nobody has ever done it for four years, which Oklahoma and Texas are slated to do. So there, <laughs> there was some really good, really, really thorny storylines coursing through that uh, that field in Waco on Saturday afternoon. Well, on a side to your your train uh, now math problem, the problem with the American rail system is trains leave Amarillo and they go 46 miles an hour, <laughs> not 200, like good damn countries. <laughs> that Japan, is the problem. Fast trains. Yes. America, yes. not fast. Go We're to Europe and Asia. speed in the train department. No, horrible. We get from Amarillo to Houston like a th- two hours and 10 minutes if we had a real rail system in this country. But no, we go 46 damn miles an hour, but that's a different pod for a different channel. Our rail All system right. has Big Ten speed. Yes. We are, yeah, Mac. Mac. Yeah. Have, Iowa you ever speed. Want, you ever want to know what it's like to be a Miami, Ohio defensive back? Take the train. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, what was I? I, I got, all right, let me give you some, some text here. Cause this will lead into our next thing. I, the, the petty was great. I first, I do think they were right. Like did you do should get 15 yards if all your fans are on the field. You know, it's, it's interesting, but I, they I, never I, call that cause it would normally decide a game. Right. Right. Like it would. Right. Yeah. So, so I actually but, called the sec office about this in Tennessee. Cause, uh, during during that game, a couple old Miss coaches after texting me, he's like, why, why wasn't there at least a penalty? And I was like, that's a really good question. He basically said, I thought they could and then called back and said they actually couldn't. And I would like to, it was a voicemail and I would like to tell you precisely the rule why I don't remember. I never wrote it. So it's just one of those things where I was like, explain this to me. This is weird and seems very obvious. And he called back and was like, actually, and I was like, oh, okay. So I, 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 I would right, think no it, like, common sense would dictate that, but I, I just I ran out that ground ball at some point this year and was surprised that the the answer. And I assume that wasn't just an SEC rule. To, to I don't want to fuel mean, Sully's conspiracy theory. I assume it's they just throw a, flags when the when the assistant uh, you know special teams coach steps over that line. You got half the <laughs> Baylor line out in your field. You ought to be able to be like, what's what's going on here? Um, but that is where it's at. So. The pettiness, I think it was a little petty. I think it was a little a little of the stats, whatever. It was great. We love it. Uh, Lincoln Riley crying about sportsmanship. Just take your beat. It, it's, <laughs> I, I understand the frustration. It never works. The sportsmanship no. argument never works. Just, I mean, come on, man. You're called the Sooners. You stole all the land in Oklahoma. <laughs> you got nowhere to go. You bailed on these people and said you're, we're better than you. It's just yeah, don't. tough break. Don't even go there if you're like, yeah, I got this from a, from a, uh, a very, very uh, passionate Oklahoma fan. who was a friend of mine. These are some of the texts during the game uh, that I was, I wasn't really even responding to because <laughs> I just knew like, you don't need that. Right. 
Like it's like going to rehab with somebody. Just remember when you give our DC a raise after giving up seven first half TDs in a playoff game, you have invited mediocrity on that side of the ball. <laughs> celebrating the up, <laughs> celebrating the upgrade from terrible to awful on defense does not make you good. It ah. makes you the guy who still oversees a group who can't tackle, cover scheme, play gaps, or have heart. <laughs> okay, I love it. Oh my just gosh, time sounds we, like me when just, the Broncos are losing. Yeah, just the right time. We pull back the curtain on Grinch. Better now than against Georgia. <laughs> sounds like Pat when a third-place Mountain West team loses a bowl game and he picks against them. That's really what it sounds like. <laughs> There's some chapped-ass Sooner fans out there. But by late in the night, and here's my little transition. Oh, Texas is losing <laughs> to Kansas. Was it a brutal loss? Of course. Did Texas losing to Kansas make it better? Sure did. <laughs> Did, we go. Did, te- did Texas playing don't stop believing before overtime make it feel like today was a fantastic day? Um, yes. <laughs> that was like a 57-point bottle of bourbon to the Oklahoma fan base. <laughs> this guy slowly. does not drink, but that was it. That was that. He, he His anger just, dis- oh, Kansas. What channel is this on? Oh, ESPNU. Yep. I Thank really God feel I like the one. last... Three minutes of that game and overtime took two and a half hours. Am I right about oh. that? It was the whole, un- well, yes, the whole game. I that I, I said this, I think, on Twitter that I like I did not go into the day having any interest whatsoever in Samford, Florida, and Kansas, Texas, and ended up spending five hours with those two games between them. Like the Kansas, Texas game, I just couldn't look away because it just kept the storyline kept going. Eventually, you're like, ah, you know, Texas is going to score three touchdowns here in like five minutes, and then, then I can change the channel. Nope. It kept going and kept going and kept going. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. I was happy for Lance Leipold and everybody at Kansas. Great victory for them. He's a, He was a great hire in a horrible position. He got him a halftime lead against Oklahoma, and you thought right there that's going to be the flag plant for the season. Oh, no. Then you go into Austin and win where you have never won, ever. You score 57. You go for two at the end. You you know, the all guts, no glory play, or all guts, all glory. and, and All gas, no breaks. Yeah. yeah all gas, no breaks, baby. Yeah. yeah you yeah. kicked the you extra points. You the on the Bevo wagon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, just – and that was two teams that can't tackle – they can't tackle air. I mean, they were so just pitiful at the end of the game, both teams. But by golly, they made one more play than Texas, and Kansas wins in, in Daryl K. Royal Stadium. Never thought I would see the day. First of all, I would love some analytics person to tell us the percentage of kill shot, two-point conversion, do-or-die plays. Like, what's what's the hit rate? I would think it's below 50%. The national average in two-pointers is like 38%, so it probably is. Yeah, no, and I would think it's, I I don't know, it feels like that doesn't work more than it does. But, like, it's total, like, recency bias, and we're biased towards the bigger games where it happens. Anyway, got Lance Leipold on the phone last night around uh, 1.30 in the morning Eastern. He was boarding the plane. Uh, Just a great little little story how we'll remember this game. So Jared Casey, the walk-on fullback on the roster who caught the two-point conversion is actually a tight end. But Leipold was like, look, we don't have tight end. We don't have fullbacks in our offense, so everybody's a tight end. He goes, we just probably listed him as a fullback because there are there shouldn't be a five foot nine tight end of the Big 12. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he's sitting next to Andy Kublinicki, the OC, and he goes, Andy, how many snaps before tonight did Jared play, like, on offense? And Andy's like, none. So they had a starting tight end get hurt. They have a five foot nine walk on that they're basically listed as a fullback out of embarrassment for his physical measurables, go in and catch the two point conversion. So the other thing was that the play where I thought, oh, Kansas is going to blow this was the blocked punt. So uh, Jared Casey, the walk on hero, had played special teams for Kansas this year, and he was part of the shield on the punt block. And he went to call a protection change on the pump block and the ball got snapped and he got caught out of position. And that's why Pat or Sully could have blocked that punt, right? Because I mean, that guy walked in, he was by the punter and like stuck his arm out. Like he had to reach back to block the punt. It could, so basically Lance was like, Jared went from messing up the game in some ways, potentially, to becoming like the indelible hero of the game. Now, it wasn't all his fault. He was trying to make the right check. It just got out of uh, it got out of sync. So I thought that was like a nice little nugget to remember. And like those are the stories we love in college football, right? Like the little the little runt of another. Can you imagine being a walk on football player at Kansas? Can you imagine having you have to love football to walk on at Kansas. When you're from Plainville, Kansas, when you're from Plainville, Kansas, population nineteen hundred. You get a chance to go to KU, it's a pretty big deal. It's better than I going agree. to St. Mary's of the Plains College in Dodge City or Bethany <laughs> or Benedictine, all of which recruited me. That tells you how bad I was. Uh, Plainville, Kansas is out there in the middle of a state where there's a lot of nothing. And there's a lot of out guy, there. Yeah, there's a lot of out uh, there. Get him He's all listed. the John Deere NIL, all right? I want him on every tractor in Plainville hawking, hawking tractors this week. Get it all for Jared Casey. He deserves it. He's listed as six foot. You saw him at like on the field after he scored. I'm like, that dude ain't six foot. Come on, man. Did Did you see him chest bump the DB and fall over after the game? Oh, he got he got close. Oh, he got depleted. Yeah. <laughs> Lightfold was like, you've got to see it. It's the funniest thing ever. It was beautiful. Just beautiful. Oh. The town Plainville. Like, who's marketing the town names in Kansas? <laughs> hey, like, you know, in Florida, they named all these like Frostproof yeah. and like Sunshine yeah. and uh, right, all these like great names. And you're like, oh, I'll move down there, right? Celebration, <laughs> like Celebration Florida. That exists. Yes. I'll check that out. That might be pretty good. If it, you can get frost and frost proof. It's a lie, but it's who in the hell would want to move to Plainville, Texas, uh, Kansas? I think everybody in the town is five nine. Like just everybody. The whole town's five. It is. <laughs> it's truth in advertising. All right, it's plain and it's on the plains, and uh, you're a I'll long way them- from the nearest like city is Hayes, Kansas. Hayes okay. used to have the, the old Holiday in Holodome. I know this because I had to drive on I-70 all seven hours of Kansas back and forth between Colorado and Missouri when I went to school there. I know way too much about the I-70 geography of that place. And when Hayes is the big city near you, you're out there. All right. Well, I did not think I guess this would turn into a Kansas geography lesson today. But, you know. I give uh, them respect for being honest. It is Plainville. <laughs> but you might we want to juice up Texas the bus- yet. <laughs> no. All right, so let's get to this. I mean, look, Tom Herman gets fired. He's 32 and 18. He's 22 and 13 in the Big 12. He goes seven and three last year, five and three. 
Uh, he made a sugar bowl and won it for whatever that's worth. Very fine bottle of Merlot, just sipping it, watching this, going, uh, buy out life. <laughs> Y'all thought I sucked. You had to drive me out of town. Right. Steve Sarkeesian, who has not had a glorious head coaching record, and he comes in as an experienced head coach coming right off of the Alabama offense, where it turns out those screen passes don't work quite as well when it's not, not Najee Harris leaping people. And the wideouts don't quite get as open when it's not Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs and all these other guys. You don't bring in Steve Sarkeesian to a team that isn't good enough at seven and three and say, hey, this is a mess. Rebuild it. This isn't a first time head coach. This isn't like a, this isn't a lot of things. You bring him in to win, to win big. They've lost five straight. They've at West Virginia. This one could be brutal. The day after Thanksgiving, they are on the big noon game at Fox against Kansas State. There should be about 45,000 people in that stands in Austin watching this. And Kansas State, they always mean business. That is not a team you want to trifle with when you have no effort. And they're playing uh, it, well, right? too. Like, they're playing yeah, well right Kansas now. State's they just good and Kansas, West Virginia. They'll always humiliate you. They will always humiliate you, right? How, I mean, it's one year, but... You don't lose to Kansas. You don't lose five in a row if you're a coach that's going to take you to the next level. You just went down three levels in in, in your first season. Like this has got to be alarm bells everywhere on on Steve uh, with Steve Sarkeesian and, and Texas. I first guessed this in a lot of ways when they fired Tom Herman. I didn't necessarily think, oh my god, you can't fire Tom Herman, but you better upgrade. And there weren't a lot of upgrades. Look, if if they hired Urban Meyer. You shake you, you you shrug your shoulders and you say, okay, that's a guy who defiantly wins 10 games a year, 80% of his college seasons, right? Like that's a guy who is a proven winner who who can go and win. Steve Sarkeesian in so five seasons at Washington, two at USC, never won 10 games. They basically, and his and his exit from USC was one of the more spectacular meltdowns of the last generation. Steve Sarkeesian's a very good coach. He's a very good man. He knows how to run a program. He's a competent college football coach. But to insert him in the cauldron of Texas with the dysfunction, they're still behind in facilities until that end zone gets built. There's so much you have to overcome. I just don't think he was like this massive upgrade. It was a let's get rid of the guy we don't like and then try to just throw money at our problems. And that's essentially that's essentially what happened here. And... It's failing fairly spectacularly right now. And here, this is where Texas is going to Texas. And I wrote this the other night. Like, getting new coordinators is sport. Say Sark really loves his guys and really wants to keep his staff together and really believes in what he has. He has no chance because it's Texas. So they're already out looking for the better young recruiters. They need an upgrade at D.C. You're certainly not going to be able to keep the D.C. at Texas when you give up 57 points to Kansas. So, it is just going to start. And then when you change your coordinators, the next thing, and Pat and I have written this and said this a million times, well, fire the coordinator. Who's next? Got to start looking in the mirror. You fire the DC. Well, you are the OC pretty much. So you're, you're calling the place. So like you can already feel this sort of Texas spin cycle starting. And the collision, this program has to go win in the SEC in three years. And that's really what's going to undo Sark. It's not that he's not competitive in the Big 12 and they're going to be a mediocre Big 12 team. It's the Texas brass is going to say, oh, my God, this is not the guy who's going to get our roster ready to go compete with LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Vanderbilt. Georgia, Ch Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, like they, they they would get run off the field by Tennessee right now. That's just the reality. If Kansas, if Kansas they could not win the bean pot. 
No, they couldn't win the bean pot. They would be last in the bean pot. They'd be last in the bean pot. Let's say, I mean, take the damn steer off the helmet, and they're terrible, okay? I think we can admit that. This is, if you want to talk about product on the field, this is like the Big Ten getting Rutgers. I mean, you're bringing in a team that is way below the rest of the league right now. Way below. You can spin it however you want. They just lost five in a row. They lost to Kansas. They suck. And you're going to bring them into the SEC now and say, yeah, they're Texas. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. That That's that's how bad this is at this moment. Now, can it be fixed? Yes, it can be fixed. Is Sarkeesian the guy to fix it? Uh, he might looks more like Willie Taggart right now than a savior. You know, the, Willie Taggart, who didn't even get two full years at Florida State before he was run out. If, if next year's going like this, Sark's gone. Uh, because Texas has to not just hit the hammer, uh, hitting the panic button, but pound the panic button if they are still in this position as they get closer to getting into the Southeastern Conference. Because this is embarrassing enough. You want to go in and just absolutely get your helmet handed to you week in and week out by the Mississippi schools and Kentucky and South Carolina and Missouri? That's the way you're headed right now. Uh, the potential at Texas is always enormous. You get it right, you may have the best program in America. I mean, simple as that, but it's not easy to get right. And we've seen that for a very, very long time. Mac Brown got it right for a little while and they were unbelievable. Texas got a number five recruiting class right now. That'll probably drop. They're lacking the five star players and they're getting rated on really, really good players in the state of Texas are still leaving. But Texas always has players. The, some of the stuff you mentioned, Pete, is true. Uh, facilities and this and got to get the boosters all organized and all that. None of that is 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 about third, giving up third down conversions to Kansas, right? Like, I think this, the question's just like, good coaches don't lose five in a row with this roster. And and where are you at? So uh, if I'm Texas right now, it's like, it's almost worse than the school we're about to get to with these others because there's no, it's like, we just, we. it's like, I don't know what, finding out a week into your marriage that like, some, <laughs> yeah. some, oh, you were hiding the meth, meth addiction. <laughs> Is that a is that a crack pipe behind the fridge? <laughs> like I don't know. Uh, fortunately, I mean, not not from personal experience do I have to come up with that. But I mean, it would be something like, "Whoa, I did not see that part." Like you're just like, "Wait, this is." I mean, he's he's been a head coach for seven seasons in major college football. It's not like you. He, there's not like a learning curve where you're just like, "All right, well, we took a shot on this young guys, and we, and he didn't take over a program that was completely dysfunctional." I, I'm not going to argue Herman need to come back either. If you're sitting there saying we're Texas, we need to win 10, 11 games. Great. Well, you just lost five in a row. Tom Herman never did that. And now you got this guy. All right, let's get to Florida. Uh, the next debacle. They won. And we should respect <laughs> all victories oh. here. And not yeah. If you if you're disappointed by that win, you're disrespecting <laughs> the game. I disrespect everything. So don't <laughs> worry about it. Sorry, Coach Mullen. Samford, not even a good FCS team. Like UMass has now lost back-to-back FCS games. I think UMass could beat Sanford. I don't know. Like that would, right? Could they beat Maine? Could Sanford beat Maine? I don't know. They lost to Chattanooga 55-13. 55-13, and they just rolled. The first half to me is, look, you've, you've, I have no idea, and no one will ever admit it, but you fire a defensive coordinator that the players like, and all of a sudden they decide, we're going to take the first half off. We'll still probably win. Then they try to get their act together in the second half, and it's a little too late. And the whole thing, they end up winning, but you had to sweat it out. But if you're the players, eh, I think they will play better going forward. But that victory is that victory 
enough to doom Dan Mullen, uh, which is just amazing because less than two months ago, we were on this podcast talking about how they almost beat Alabama. Two months later, it's like Mullen's got uh, the conventional wisdom is Mullen's got to go. We'll see. He's got two more games. But Pete, your thoughts? Well, they're not eager to fire Dan Mullen, but boy, like I it's rare I've seen a, a downfall this spectacular. I think Dan Mullen's an excellent football coach. Uh, I think he's been an excellent football coach for a long time. He delivered Florida two national titles as the offensive coordinator. He's one of the better play callers, I still think, in the sport. Like, it is what it is. They just went to South Carolina and got just completely railroaded. They just fell asleep in the first half against Sanford. That was one of the worst halves of football I've seen in all of my career. I can't remember, like, a talent mismatch so glaring and a result so jarringly distinct. It's and funny you say that, Pete, because it's the most points Florida has ever given up in a half. Yes, ever, ever. Think about all the great teams Florida played, the great Alabama teams. They played a great Nebraska team. In the t- like They have played some really good football teams, and they've never given up more points in half. It's also the most points an SEC team has ever given up to an FCS team. And there's been some bad, F- <laughs> bad SEC teams um, rolling in Nashville and, and some other places. So I just think like for Dan Mullen to be in the position to be fired, everything had to just unspool spectacularly. And that's that's where we are. And the, the recruiting department's a problem at Florida. That was going to get overhauled. Obviously, defensive coordinator, if you're going to bring in someone competent, you're talking two years, somewhere in the $3.5 million, $4 million range guaranteed. Like, all of a sudden, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to step back and say, okay, it, do I go make $5, 6000000 million worth of personnel investments? Because... Obviously, you need a new O-line coach. That's going to be another 600 grand twice, 1.2 million. Or do we just part ways with this staff and go and uh, and find a way to start over? So it's interesting, a couple levels. And I have another macro point that I'll get back to, but I want Pat to, to chime in on this first. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, this to me, in almost record time, became an untenable situation. Like to go from... Hey, Florida's good again, even after all those guys went to the NFL to, ooh, they lost to Kentucky. Oh, they lost to LSU, a bad LSU team. Oh, they got, you know, they fell apart in three minutes against uh, Georgia and were mad about recruiting to then, oh my God, you got trucked by a third string QB at South Carolina who was on an FCS team last year. And then you almost lose to an FCS team. And let's be clear, in the SEC, the, SE, the FCS teams you schedule are not North Dakota State. They're not James Madison. You don't schedule the good ones. You schedule the mediocre to bad ones to get a glorified scrimmage, to sell home game tickets, and to rest up for the next SEC game. And to be down and have given up 42 at halftime here, to Dan's point, there's got to be some quitting going on. You know, there's got to be just a distinct lack of effort. that you you Otherwise, you can't really have that happen. I just don't think it's possible. If you're trying hard at Florida with those players against Stanford's players, you do not give up 42 points and a half. I just don't see how it's possible. Just quickly, FCS upsets are generally because the offense struggles and turnovers. Like you you start and there's a bad pick and then then a a, a poor exchange fumble and an FCS scoop and score. Like things happen. You don't just get rolled on defense by guys that are demonstrably slower. It has to be your error. Like your QB just was, you know, out partying all night the night before. He's hucking balls into the stand. You don't just get, I mean, they were running away from dudes. There was a kick return. Wasn't there a kick return in the first half? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kick return touchdown. What do you think the athletic mismatch is on those special teams to give up a kick return? 
Come on. A depth on the depth. That's, oh, now you're well, down. It's, the. It's not like you're one. Yeah. Like it's 53 it's scholarships like, well, to 85. Yeah. Right. And it's not like, well, they got this one guy who <laughs> should have been right. He came back from yeah. like the military a little late, walked on and this kid can fly. And we just, we can't stop him. He's going to play in the NFL. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember when that guy torched uh, Florida for four TDs. Yeah. No, Some guy got a like DUI at Auburn and ends up there or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, all over the ball. They were just, it was nothing. So what was your macro point? Two macro points I think think are interesting. One is, con around this week, somebody made an interesting point to me. Like the three perceived giants that are now asleep, USC, Texas, and Florida. And there are three places that had, administrations that took long naps and helped them catch up. Now, Florida, for it's Florida, they should be able to recruit. They are massively behind in facilities. Jeremy Foley refused to capitalize on all those great Urban Meyer years. And there are some people who will tell you they're 14th of 14 in the SEC. I don't know if they're that bad, but they're definitely in the bottom third. That is being rectified. There's a new building being built. It's just interesting that like you can tie struggles seven years, a decade later, USC, and I've talked about a bunch on the pod, had back-to-back disastrous AD hires. And DeLos Dodds was asleep at the wheel in the twilight of Texas. They put in, uh, what was that guy's name, Pat? The Texas AD uh, who was Patterson. the interim. Patterson. Yeah. Oh, they hired Patterson, who was an abject disaster. Then they put in the interim for a while. Oh, Remember yeah, that guy? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the guy that was a lawyer, right? Yeah, it was like your nice Wasn't uncle, but like yeah, really had yeah. no business being a, being an athletic director. So like, you look back and say, my, how, how did parent, these... I think. Yeah, I think it was my parent. He was his tenure was every bit as forgettable as we're forgetting right now. So you you have these like monstrous places with huge brands in these powerful areas that you should be able to capitalize. Why did they capitalize on it? Well, they kind of the 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 athletic directors and the athletic departments and the school presidents all sort of took naps while everyone built and people have sprinted ahead and now they're coming from behind. I thought that was an interesting point when you look at all those those three programs toiling right now. Now, look, facilities aren't everything, and Pat's going to come back with some point about swimming. But at the end of the day, facilities matter and building matters. And those three places are on the cusp of catching up to being 10 years behind. Yeah, I mean, that's look, Florida's got the, – they're, they're opening a Taj Mahal like next year. Yes, you know? correct. Um, but like every place opened a Taj Mahal the last decade. I know. Georgia's I, open too. Look, you're not going to get me to cry for Florida <laughs> over facilities. I'm sorry. Right. I'm not going to do it. All okay. right. They, I, I, my pro, my thing with Florida is there is a million players in the state of Florida. Yeah. Neither FSU nor Miami is recruiting at some gangbuster rate. So where are these guys? They're all leaving the state. And 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 I don't F- care what you got. Yeah. FSU's yeah, leadership it, compared to Florida's, by the way, is but FSU's facilities are terrible. That place is 20 years behind. What a just they need to blow that thing up and start over. And I've written that. I mean, I don't it, think they have they don't have an indoor practice facility, right? Like they're correct, way behind. Correct. But, I, yeah, they're like they Florida State has high school facilities. I feel, I think Mike Norvell's a good coach. I think he can do it there, but everything above him is is well, really, everybody knew when he took the job how bad it was going to be. But it's you, you would you have to like outmaneuver bad administration. That's a very difficult thing to to do at a place like Florida State. There so, was a time when all three Florida schools were in the top five. Oh yeah, the top yeah. ten, oh, yeah. right? Yes. Like, there's so many players there, and so where the, the players Florida games were Alabama right? LSU twenty years ago, right? Right. Like, yeah, Miami right. Florida State, like it was the it was the, you know the version of Alabama Georgia now. 
And the SEC has just lifted those places up and those places have had generally good administration and, and, and grown with them. And Miami's not had good leadership either. They're way behind in things. It, it's starting to catch up. Now, the interesting thing, the next 10 years. Miami's the, getting there. They're going to get going too. But yeah, I think they made some announcement recently. Mm, I saw some kind I, of. I, I just, Miami's always. You know what job like, I want? I want to make, I want to be the blueprint guy for facility, planned facilities. That's, <laughs> that's steady work. Be the yeah. easel guy. Wait, the easel guy. Yeah, yeah, the easel the, the, yeah put the, the, yeah, the, the, like, the plan on the easel and put it yeah, in the entryway and show the recruits and the boasters. Yeah, this is what we're building right here. Someone had like a 30-year career drawing those stadiums in Los Angeles <laughs> until they finally got the Stan Crockett built that SoFi. <laughs> it's like being a script writer for the scripts that never get, uh, for the scripts that never get written. Um, the other macro point is this, and we can dive into this more on the Tuesday pod, but I, I will go back and look this week. There were going to be three, likely be three top 10 jobs. Oh, there are two now in LSU and USC. And then Florida is another. And like, how the heck are these going to get filled? Like, what a fascinating next Who couple of weeks yeah. it's going to be. Like, just like, I mean, you can hire James Franklin. Like, okay. I mean, James Franklin's a very good coach. I think James Franklin's excellent. But like, it's imperfect as we've seen this season. Um, and we saw again on Saturday with game management. Like, Matt Campbell is a great coach. I think he's six and four. Is that right? Dave Aranda's the hot coach six, right six now. Six and four was, what was supposed to be the best team in Iowa State history, and they're six and four. And like, look, no, a lot of people think Luke Fickle's not going anywhere because Luke Fickle's not gone anywhere for a while. So I just really think, like, it's – and, like, the pool of these places, if Jimbo doesn't go to LSU and Luke doesn't go to USC, which if Cincinnati makes the playoff, which is probably a coin flip at this point, Luke Fickle can't go anywhere. So all of a sudden, there's going to be – hyper competition for very few humans and it's really going to be like battle royales behind the scenes that shape the future of college football in many ways i'd like to be mel tucker and dave aranda's agent right now that would yeah, be pretty no easy doubt work i my I, real quick want to in, inject this here because pete i'm not saying your point's wrong i just want to know why it's the point that if luke fickle is an absolute you know 95% can't miss guy who's going to win you 10 games a year for a decade. Why do you let one season of delayed recruiting spoil that? Like if you're USC, oh, we got to wait till January. Like, so what? If you can have it until I don't think he'll leave, leave, though. I don't know. I mean, no, I, I agree, Pat. But, but, but he's saying the timetable's part of the problem. Yes. Then. Well, yeah. Do you sit there and not hire a coach? So you're USC, you fired your coach. It felt like May, but it was September, right? And do you sit there and wait for the first week in December, the second week in December, signing day to go, the third week in December, the fourth week in December, and then the playoff game is played, and they could win a playoff game. So do you do you sit there for six weeks of nuclear winter? And no, you A, you can't, and B, Luke Fickle isn't going to secretly agree to a deal when it's going to be plainly obvious to everyone that he's leaving if X job at USC or LSU, probably more likely USC, isn't filled. It just that can't happen in well, the modern media cycle. Nick Saban did that 20 years ago and it worked. He just they like Alabama just sat there with the job open for a while, but the world has changed. And I cannot see a scenario where that happens because Luke Fickle wouldn't do it to distract his team. Like the ultimately, if your team knows you're leaving, you and you only get so many of these playoff chances, and they're they're precious. And Luke is such a straight ahead, straight arrow guy. He's not gonna. He's not gonna give them an answer and then sit there for six weeks and pretend like he's not going. That's just not in his yeah, DNA. I, 
fine, fine. And I understand that you have to have some assurance that you can get him. And so that may be the sticking point. But if I have that assurance, if I'm USC and I know here on November 14th that I can get Luke Fickle, I'll put up with six weeks of nuclear winter to get 10 years of great coaching. 10 years of great coaching, you know, or 100%. you can go hire Matt Campbell who's six and four was what's supposed to be the best team ever. Go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 agree. I agree from a USC standpoint that you do it. I just don't think in the modern dynamics of coaching it's tenable. And I don't think from Luke's side, that just doesn't feel like, I have not asked him this, but it just doesn't feel like something he would do. Just That's just not I, And also just, just not Luke him. Fickle, oh, he's making like $3.4 in Cincinnati. He could probably get a raise if they make the playoff or he's going to get some, who knows? He's making a ton of money. His family's happy. He's got all these kids and... He's sitting at Cincinnati. He's gone 11 wins, 11, 9 and 1, he's 10 and 0 right now. Yeah, he has no run. fear. He has no fear. And I, I, he's a Midwest guy. Like, you know, he's sitting there going, all right, if I want, something's going to open. It's Notre Dame, I can go there. Michigan, I could probably go there if I was willing to like go to like swallow and be like, all right, I'm a Buckeye, but I'm going to, I'm going to Michigan. I mean, it worked for Bo Schembeck. Penn State, like I could just see him being like, I, I don't know everybody in Florida. I don't. So we will see. All right, let's get to Penn State quickly. This is going to be a long podcast, everyone. There's, there's a lot happening. <laughs> it's a good one. I had so many Not people be like, your pod is going to be unbelievable tomorrow. Just most, mostly because yeah, they knew we'd bore into the misery more than everybody. We try to get in and out of this thing in an hour. It ain't happening. No. Penn State. Okay. James Franklin. The, there is immense frustration with James Franklin amongst the Penn State fans. Be careful what you wish for, Penn State fans. However, understandably, they have lost four of the last five. Three of them have been by a few, uh, well, four points or less. The Ohio State game was a good effort by Penn State. They were in the game, but they keep losing. They have this season going on. They keep losing. Yeah, you know, they got four losses. Uh, 21-17, Michigan, Penn State had the chance to win this game. Michigan tried to give it away. Then they took it back. Uh, we're not going to get a lot. This is, again, a, a game that Michigan used to absolutely lose. They, they won it. Give them credit for that. It's just like the Nebraska game where they, they had to come from behind. They never came from behind under Harbaugh. It is a better Michigan team. Not saying that they're going to beat Ohio State in two weeks, but there is something there. What is the scenario with Franklin at Penn State? It's not so bad that you would fire him. They don't do that in the Big Ten. They're not going to do that at Penn State. He doesn't deserve to be fired. But in any way, shape, or form, but man, it's just, I think we talked about this with James Franklin earlier. It's the Billy Tubbs, don't stay longer than seven years. You don't make any more friends. He doesn't make any more friends there. And they're just, they have a two, they have some great recruiting classes stacked up. But what do you do? What do you do, Pat, with, with, with Penn State and James Franklin? I mean, it just seems like this is, if he has an opportunity to jump, it wouldn't be a bad career move to just say, I'm going to now move on to somewhere else. But I don't know how much excitement there is when you just lost four or five. Right. No, I mean, I, I think their Penn State fans are like, eh, we don't want to fire him. But if he wants to leave, hey, nobody's going to stop you. There ain't going to be anybody grabbing your leg and saying, please don't go. Uh, and that's why, you know, if yes, to, to, to go to the Billy Tubbs analogy, this seems like a fine time for James Franklin to go to USC. Uh, complete career reset, new area, personality would play well there. I, I think that would work. You know, at Penn State, it's now it's become pretty chronic. Like their offensive lines are just no good. Like they are not a good team up front. They, they're, their rushing totals this year are horrible, horrible. They're averaging 3.15 yards per carry. That's 62 yards against Illinois, 33 against Ohio State, uh, 109 yesterday against Michigan. 
Sean, they've asked Sean Clifford to do everything. He's got to run the ball. He's got to throw 40 times a game. So they've just, they've got scheme issues. They've got recruiting issues that the, on the front line that need to be addressed and fixed. And as we've said many times on the pod, offensive line ones are not a quick fix. If they had better linemen, we probably would have seen them by now because Sean Clifford was getting just mauled by Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. They combined for five sacks yesterday, and there were a few that, d- that they didn't get sacks where they still hit him. So, uh, you know, I just think Franklin is absolutely one of the better coaches in college football, and there are a lot of places that could do a lot worse than having him. It just may be time that if it runs its course, it runs its course. And then if you're Penn State, though, the question again is who out of – what is generally considered an uninspiring coaching pool, do you go get for that job, which is still a damn good job? Well, I, I proposed the trade three weeks ago, Mullen for Franklin. If they <laughs> yeah, had just done it, looking a little different. It, it would have it saved everybody a lot of misery. And they, <laughs> you know, they didn't do it. Um, mid-season. Yes, just a mid-season, uh, mid-season coaching swap. Hey, considering how much college sports have changed the last two, three years, like we're not probably not that far from that when it, when it comes down to it. would have to throw in like condo time on, you know, D- Daytona Beach for the for the Penn State brass to get anybody to, to get Penn State to do that trade right now. Fresh squeezed orange juice for all yeah. of 2022. <laughs> yeah. A condo and what was the place, Dan? No frost, frost proof. Frost proof. <laughs> frost proof. Celebration. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Celebration. We yeah. just celebrate down yeah. here. Yeah. I, I think James Franklin's an excellent coach. And I just think, boy, he could use a new start and Penn State could use a new start. Think about where this place was when he took over for Bill O'Brien, still with those Sandusky sanctions hanging over the program. He has pulled them up and back to respectability. And they're, they're, they're a very good college football program now. It just seems like both sides could use a new start. And that's okay sometimes, right? Like that, like he did Penn State well, and Penn State did him well. They paid him a lot of money, but the the things that aren't working continue to not work. And and sometimes you just need to go press uh, press reset and uh, and and start over. Now, like look, like we cover this zany billion dollar business, and the three of us love it. Like Eric All scores that touchdown yesterday because like two Penn State DBs run into each other. Um, Eric All had been injured; <laughs> he didn't exactly run a four three, right? Like I mean, it was literally like. Clown college, like they, it was like the pick play they ran for themselves in the defensive backfield. So that's just, that is college football right there. Like two dudes run into each other. Some guy scored, I think it was his first career touchdown and like rockets down the field for 60 yards. And, and, and here we are. So now if you really want to second guess James Franklin, that fake field goal in the first quarter uh, was like an all time head scratcher. Like, whew, you, the, yeah, this was you already not, pulled off the one fake kick that quarter, and now you're going to go back to the well. That it, Yeah, no. Yeah, like this was not, like that day, it was like blustery Big Ten weather. This wasn't going to be 52-51. Take some points. Like, take some points. Put them in your pocket, man. You could use them later. Like, just, <laughs> or go for it. I know your O-line stinks. Run Sean Clifford to the edge, and then the analytics say, like, first and 98 isn't the worst place to put to put them. There were just some there were just some things that were, again, a little strange and a little head-scratching. And I can imagine Penn State fans are, you know, like, I can imagine the accumulated head-scratches uh, have, have come. All right. Well, uh, we got to get to this. This led the, led the week in most sent-to-us stories on Twitter. Fan of the year candidate Dana Nessel. Day job includes being the attorney general of the state of Michigan. My attorney general. <laughs> Turns out old Dana went to the Michigan-Michigan State game. 
and uh, got a little tanked. Got a little tanked. Had a few too many and uh, had to admit it after a rival uh, political group was Freedom of Information Act and wanting to expose her as a tailgate drunk at the game. Politics (laughs) is wonderful. (laughs) This would have backfired spectacularly because I've not seen one thing that has been more universally hailed than Dana Nessel coming out and admitting, yeah, I got you. I mean, (laughs) there's nothing more Michigan than this unless she like did an overnight shift at a at a Ford stamping plant, then went deer hunting before. <laughs> Ate three Coney dogs and got trashed at the Michigan-Michigan State game. Like you're, you're... We don't uh, we don't get political on this show, Dan, but you better have voted for her, all right? If you didn't vote for her, shame on you, all right? I don't even know if she's Republican, Democrat, Independent, Tea care. Party. Who cares? She should have she's your vote my, forever. She's, I, I, she's running again, apparently. She's running again. <laughs> And she certainly did not lose my vote with this. <laughs> yeah. You better have a sign outside the Wetzel Manor there. That's uh, she is our kind of candidate. Quote unquote, tailgate gate, she called it. This is one of the great <laughs> political mea culpas ever. Before the big game, I attended a tailgate on an empty stomach. Dangerous, dangerous. Much to my surprise, MSU's tailgates tend to have more alcohol than food. Good <laughs> luck. Go Sparty, man. Go Sparty. <laughs> Go green. So I thought it seemed like a good idea to, quote unquote, eat two Bloody Marys, since as long as you put enough vegetables in them, it's practically a salad. (laughs) As it turns out, this was not a brilliant idea. Also, I might be a terrible bartender. I proceeded to go to the game, which I'm told Michigan definitely won, (laughs) funny, and started to feel ill. I laid low for a while, but my friends recommended I leave so as to prevent me from vomiting on any of my constituents. Polling shows, quote, Roman showers to be unpopular among most demographics. I had no idea that was a a thing. Uh, I had a few folks help me up the stairs. Someone grabbed a wheelchair to prevent me from stumbling in the parking lot. Like all smart people, uh, I had a, a designated driver. Went home, fell asleep on the couch. My wife threw some blankets on me, provided me with some water and Tylenol. Best wife ever. See, kissing up to the wife in the middle of the, offering an extra mea culpa there. That's important. So there you go. She was drinking with uh, the head of the Republic. She's a Democrat, but was drinking with uh, the governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and the, but also the head of the Republican Party. So it was a bipartisan tailgate up there. Uh, Dana Nessel gets trashed. She included a photo of herself slumped in a chair in Spartan Stadium with a Michigan hat over her eyes looking dead to the world. Dana Nessel for president, 2024. <laughs> Pat, are you on board? Oh, I'm on board. I'm on board with a, a president who can drink in public and make fun of herself afterwards when it goes poorly? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that is, that is the best a politician apology of all time because it's funny, it's honest, and it's just like, yeah, I went to a tailgate in a football game and got drunk. Am I a bad person for that? <laughs> Hell no. You're a regular old American. I like you. We need to start the campaign, her and the Georgia Southern lineman uh, as the vice president. <laughs> I mean, not much else to say. She's got my vote, right? Like, think about all these tailgates the three of us have walked through all these years, right? We park somewhere and go and think about all the trouble we could get into. Thank God our jobs don't allow us to do that. How about this guy or her woman? I don't know who this is. Tori Sachs, executive director of the conservative Michigan Freedom Fund, said Nessa was out of control in a tweet uh, responding. This is that she got embarrassingly drunk at our state's most watched public event. She's completely erratic, irrational and lacks judgment. What a loser. Oh, 
<laughs> Tori, go. Go. Come on, man. Lighten up. How freaking miserable are you as the offices of the conservative Michigan Freedom Fund? How about some freedom to get hammered at the MSU game? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know what happened. Tana Nestle is, uh, is uh, we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there. It's, all, it's a very, uh, you look at the pictures. This is not, this is a petite woman. I don't think she's spending a whole lot of time bellying up to the bar somewhere, but eat some, su they do have good food at Michigan State tailgates. You just went to the wrong one. You hung out with a bunch yes, of politicians. Let, here, we might actually need to dig a little deeper on this here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is all coming to coming together now a little bit. It's a, the My fellow podcast mates know I, I sent them a picture of Dan Wetzel's empty seat before that noon kickoff between Michigan and Michigan State. It was like eight minutes till kickoff. Wetzel's not there. Turns out he was out in the tailgate area with somebody he knew. Were you party to the attorney general getting housed? And did you in any way help her get drunk? Are you involved? Are you an accomplice? Pat, I try to stay away from like the local beat cop. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't go, I don't go hanging out with law enforcement. There's all sorts of things this woman could probably wreck me for. No. There's rumors on the Michigan State message board that you were pushing her out in the wheelchair. Is that true? <laughs> I would do that. Uh, no, the wheelchair say, was a little much. The yeah, wheelchair was, was a little much. Dan was too fixated on the the extra tuba at that point in the I was, okay. band area. But. I was sober. I don't really. I bloody Mary, eh, but I, you know, it's all right. Uh, no, it was not me. I was not at that tailgate. I okay. was not at that tailgate. Okay, just like this day. I was sober that day. That day. That day. That moment in time. <laughs> <laughs> don't get on me, Tory, and the Freedom Fund. <laughs> You're next in the crosshairs of the Freedom Fund. Uh, actually, I should be careful. Those people, like, they try to kidnap people. Like, I mean, this is not this. You don't mess with those. That's Michigan true. Freedom yeah, they want to people. kidnap the government. You guys are great citizens. Thank you for standing up for the rest of us and calling out that attorney general. All of you. <laughs> don't be having some meeting in a, a basement of a of an abandoned barn somewhere about me. <laughs> I love you guys. Sheesh. There's one group you don't mess with. All right, we got to hand out some. We got to end this podcast, and we first we got to hand out some hardware. It's small sample Heisman time. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that, guys? For my small sample Heisman, I was going to do Jared Casey, the uh, the walk on from Plainville, Kansas, but we we covered him. So, what I am going to do is to take Dan Mullen's advice. To not be disappointed in any victory, because that's disrespectful for the game. So I am going to go to Kamori Gamble from Florida, the receiver who had six catches for 122 yards and two touchdowns, uh, the latter of which, or the first of which, put Florida ahead for good against Mighty Samford, and the second of which kind of put the game away in the fourth quarter. So if Dan Mullen thinks that we should dance in the locker room, and call beating Samford a big win, then this is a really proud moment for Florida football. And why shouldn't one of their receivers then get the small sample Heisman? Really, I should probably give it to the one guy on defense who maybe made a tackle at some point in time, but I'm not sure who that was. So, Kamori Gamble, small sample Heisman, kinda.
Wow, I, I can't, I can't top that. I, uh, I was gonna go some, some, some local bias here, and uh, I'm gonna give my small sample Heisman to BC quarterback Phil Jerkovic. Back from a hand injury, has led the Eagles to back-to-back wins. He accounted for five touchdowns against Georgia Tech in a 41-30 road win in Atlanta. He had two long passes to Zay Flowers. Uh, The All-ACC receiver had a quiet year because Djokovic was out with injury. Djokovic also showed some flash with his legs. In the, uh, in, in the game and has really been an adrenaline shot to that BC program and is really one of the better quarterbacks in, in all of college football. So good to have Phil back winning games and dealing. All right, I'm going to go with a uh, little Maction. little Maction. It was a great game Wednesday night, not just because I was right and Pete was wrong. Uh, Northern <laughs> Illinois beat Ball State. The midweek Maction is good. It's, it is good. You get three games Tuesday, three Wednesday. You want to follow a team. You get them the next week. I love it. Kate hates uh, but midweek give- action. She's like, really? <laughs> Football on Tuesday? <laughs> <laughs> and I no, and you, that's a point. <laughs> and you can't, you can't really justify it, right? No. It's like, okay, no. I get it when you walk in and you're watching like Monday night. Yeah. And like, it's like, oh, yeah, Bill, is that Patrick Mahomes? I've seen him yeah. in commercials and stuff. Yeah. No, it's like, what is this? What is an NIU? What is an NIU? <laughs> Where's Ball State? Playing for the Bronx. They're playing for the bronze stock here, buddy. Like, this is an important game. Why is nobody there? Yeah, <laughs> they all look cold. Is there? Oh. There's no place on earth colder than a midweek Mac game. Oh. Everyone's freezing every yeah. time. It's like, uh, how does no, it get so cold? Well, there's no stadium structure to drop to block the wind. You know? Yeah, so just no, those are drafty coming in places. From wherever. It is just freezing. Every Maxion game is cold. Anyway, doesn't bother Jay Ducker, freshman from NIU, Northern Illinois, 24 rushes, 155 yards, one touchdown. Uh, he has had an amazing run the last five, six weeks where he is uh, he, he's, he's averaging, uh, let's see, a 210 against Bowling Green, 183 at Central, 101 at Kent, and then 155. Uh, he has turned it on. He is a freshman from Bellevue West, in Nebraska, I love the way this kid runs. You want someone to watch? Watch this kid this weekend. He reminds me a little, and it's unfair because he's a freshman at NIU. Reminds me of the way Ray Rice used to run. He's this bowling ball, puts his foot in, goes, finds yards. This kid is a really, really good player. Uh, it's only only Iowa, it appears, offered him a scholarship. Uh, Nebraska, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> you should have offered him. <laughs> Like Bellevue West is the best program, I think, in Nebraska. Like they take every everyone recruits. It's not like he's from one of the the plain plain nowhere in Nebraska, right? Like he's he's right there. It's not that hard to find him. Is that a really a poorly marketed Nebraska town? He's no, mainstream no. One. Bellevue West is everybody <laughs> blew it on this kid. This kid's really good, I think, and he's putting up big numbers against good MAC teams. Interesting thing, because Pete's been talking about this, is how many Big Ten everywhere's. Offense coordinators are watching Maction on Wednesday night going, uh, call the Bellevue West Coast. See if uh see if Jay might be injured. Because this kid could play yeah. in Nebraska. Certainly. They should they should they should go in hat in hand, be like, We are sorry, we blew it. Come play for us or, or Wisconsin. It's the interesting dynamic of of the portal is that this kid's having a great year and it's great for Northern Illinois. Does he stay for two more seasons or does he say, Hey, I'm I'm moving up because I've proved myself? Regardless. The small sample Heisman goes to Northern Illinois. Check them out. They're at Buffalo, 7 o'clock, ESPN 2 on Wednesday.
Uh, I like them. Uh, maybe that's uh, a terrible game and everyone laughs at me. So my NFL scout friends will be like, uh, yeah, good job. But <laughs> it looks like a player to me. We've said, uh, I don't know that we said anything nice about anyone, but uh, our drunken ap- uh, <laughs> attorney general. <laughs> I think the only person who got praised in this entire podcast was the woman who got absolutely trashed and you get wheeled out of Spartan Stadium. So can we say more nice things? Is it possible? Pete, why don't you start? Say something nice. I am going to say something nice about Oregon State. They blew out Stanford on Saturday. No small achievement, right? I mean, it's, it's still Stanford. Uh, they are, Jonathan Smith's team is now 6-4, and four, and they are headed to a bowl game for the first time since Mike Riley was the coach, and they won the Hawaii Bowl in 2013. The Beavers are bowling again. They They – teetered through that Gary Anderson experiment and uh, Jonathan Smith has been a slow burn two and ten five and seven two and five last year it has all come together and it is a testament to hiring the right guy hiring guy who wants to be there and letting him build and grow slowly so credit to the Beavers and uh, it'll be a lot of fun like I imagine there's gonna be a lot of Oregon State fans a lot of orange at whatever bull that Oregon State gets to slightly different than usual here. I'm going to say something nice about a media person, a media person about whom actually it's impossible to not say something nice because he is the nicest person in our job, which can be a little, you know, I, I appreciate you finally recognizing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Feels good, Pat. Let me continue. Unnecessary, but I'll accept. Let me continue. Go on. Go on. Yes, I will. Chuck Culpepper, not Dan Wessel. Ah. Our dear friend, a friend of all of ours, Chuck Culpepper of the Washington Post, did the perfect thing Saturday. Just fantastic, brilliant thought and instincts and reactions. He covered Oklahoma Baylor, and uh, he used to live in Austin. He was driving then to Austin for the night, and he tuned in Kansas and Texas, and he's listening to the game on the radio and all of a sudden, it's 35 to 14 at halftime as he is driving towards Austin. And I'm going to read you a Chuck paragraph here. This could be a case of a peasant walloping a kingdom. This could be a case of a nadir of Texas nadirs across the last 12 seasons sailing sideways with the four head coaches and the 65 losses howling at the 85 wins and the lavish resources. This could be a case of a 31-point underdog standing 0-56 in its last 56 Big 12 road games celebrating on a storied field. Clearly, there seemed no choice in life but to aim for Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium, parked for free in a garage that had stopped bothering to charge and had tucked away its $25 sign. Clearly, it became mandatory to walk the Great Austin Streets toward the lights as if in some trance. And so Chuck then walks into the stadium and watches from the stands as Kansas beats Texas and writes a typically lyrical, beautiful column about it. So Chuck Culpepper won the day. It's not often we say something nice about our competitors, but I thought that was... An extraordinarily uh, well done use of your time Saturday night, Washington Post. Yeah, Washington the real Post, the yes. real pro move there is he didn't stay in Waco too. Like you got to respect everything <laughs> about it. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Chuck knew where he was going to get a better dinner on uh, Saturday night, and uh, the, yeah, the rock and roll the rock and roll courtyard. Come on, now that place is incredible. <laughs> oh, I've spent some nights in the courtyard in Waco. Uh, great job by Chuck. He is uh, as good of a writer as as you just heard. Man, the man uh, knows how to write. All right, I'm going to say something nice. And it's going to bring me to the great state of South Dakota, one of the two states I've never been to. Never been to South Dakota. I've never been to Vermilion, 
South Dakota, but I wish I was there on Saturday. South Dakota, South Dakota State. Uh, incredible game all the time. Great rivalry. This is, uh, you know, not a whole lot in South Dakota to wrap your uh, wrap your fortunes around. This is it. Game of the year. Uh, one second left on the clock. South Dakota Coyotes are on their own 43-yard line. They're trailing by three. One second. Quarterback Carson Camp heaves a Hail Mary to the end zone. It's tipped. It's batted. It's bobbled. I'm reading this from the Argus leader. And then it finds its way to teammate Jeremiah Webb. Falls into the end zone for the game-winning score. Coyotes win 23-20. Pretty much earns them a playoff spot and ruins their arch rivals. Sully, play the uh, the radio call on this from South Dakota. Play-by-play announcer John Thayer. Great job on this. Uh, hit it. This is fun. Three receivers right, single receiver left. First down and 10, back to pass. Final play. Camp rolls over to the right side. Steps up pressure. Got to get rid of it. He's going to heave it towards the end zone. It's going to go around the five. The ball's tipped in the air. Still being tipped. Caught. Touchdown, South Dakota. Oh, my goodness. The ball was tipped in the air. It was caught by South Dakota. Caleb Van Der Esch and the Coyotes have stunned South Dakota State on the final play of the game. Ruling on the field with a completed catch for a touchdown. That play is under further review. The ball was tipped around the three or four yard line. It went to the goal line. It was caught by Caleb Van Der Esch. Chaos on the field. We're going to review. I think they're going to uphold it, guys. It was right in front of me. It, it, it touched two jackrabbits and the Yotes hauled it in, I think. Are you joking? Got a sideline guy. Jack Rabbits and the Yotes hauled it in. (laughs) (laughs) That is is peak Dakota right there. Great positioning by that sideline guy. He gets the hustle award. He picked the right Right spot. Right there, yeah. This is a a high major uh, broadcast there. (laughs) Great call. Great. You know, I mean, those games mean as much as anything, man. Heck yeah. Uh, That's college football, man. The the home announcer getting that moment. I love that stuff. That's the stuff you never get sick of. That's just awesome. Even the the ref, right? So this ref is like kind of bored, right? He's like, (laughs) oh, man, I want to get... I want to get to the SEC. I'm working my way up. I'm freezing my ass off in these South Dakota games. Hey, this was exciting. Let's go to video review. We're going to video review. Call of the field's a touchdown, and it was. Great job, South Dakota. Great call. Uh, great stuff. All right, we'll be back. Thank you for making through this marathon session of the uh, over. We had so much to overreact to. Yes. We'll be back on, uh, on uh, midweek. Please subscribe, share us on social media. Appreciate everybody. Talk to you later.